In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Good morning, Cleveland. I'm here with Jack McCurry from BigPlay.com. Jack, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well, man. Uh, the draft is wrapping up, and it was a, definitely an interesting one for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, it was, it was certainly interesting. Um, it started off so well. The Greedy Williams pick was phenomenal. Um, he would have been my pick at 17. Less king with Tacky Tacky. What did you make of those two, just to start with? We, I know we covered it yesterday on the pod, but um, what were your views? Uh, well, with Greedy Williams, I, I love the pick. Like you, I thought he could have been a potential target at pick 17 had we kept that pick. Um, you know, great man-to-man corner. I, I loved your take on it, how you thought this was an interesting pick because Wilkes plays a lot of zone. So it's interesting to see how they're going to shake that out. But him and Denzel Ward is a potential one-two punch for the next five years. Very intriguing. And then with Taki Taki, you know, I'm going to be honest, never heard of the guy until he was name was called last night. Uh, very interesting that Christian Kirksey announced it because that could be his potential replacement down the line. But um, very physical linebacker from every um, some of the highlight film I've seen. Um, potentially the Sam linebacker, which is good because don't want Jannard Avery going into that role. Stick, keep him on the edge because that's what Avery's best suited to do. But um, was a bit of a reach, but Dorsey and the front office way no – no way more than I do. So, um, and I'll let it all play out. Yeah. And then it's, it's, it's fair to say, because obviously if we're talking about Dave Gettleman, we both know more about the NFL than Dave Gettleman, but John Dorsey in the front office, they're good. They, they genuinely know what they're doing. We, they might make different decisions than us, but there'll be reasoning behind their decisions. So absolutely. Oh, I, I was going to say, absolutely. Um, you know, I appreciate like, all the guys that we know, you know, Jake Burns, Stephen Thomas, Jeff Lloyd, Pete Smith, you know, given their takes and, you know, they're allowed to have their takes, but at the end of the day, you know, you got to stick with those, you know, John Dorsey in the front office and the scouts, they've put in the work for the last year to even two years on a lot of these guys. So, you know, you have to trust them until they prove otherwise. I mean, last year I, I was praising the uh, Chad Thomas pick and, you know, it turned out to not be a good pick. Hopefully Chad bounces back in year two, but you know, you got to let these guys get on the field and see what they can do before we can be really critical of all the picks. Oh, without a doubt. So we'll kick off today. It was pick 119. The Browns selected Sheldrick Redwine, free safety, but he's, he's a bit more diverse than that. So that's his predominant position from Miami. He can actually, he can do a bit of um, strong safety. He also has some time playing cornerback. So has done a bit of everything. If we just jump over to Math Bomb, which is Ken Lee Platt on Twitter, he does his relative athletic score. It was always a good place to check just to pull up the numbers. Size is poor. Speed and 
explosiveness is elite and agility is good. So an 8.61 out of 10, which is, is very solid. So there's good numbers there. And uh, Brendan Lyser also tweeted out, he's got a lot of special teams experience. So there's a good chance we see him making an impact in special teams and sort of as that backup to Randall. What do you make of the pick? Uh, a very intriguing pick. Um, like you said, great athlete, you know, was a former corner, did slide up to free safety. He's got good size and speed at that position. Um, a physical corner, which I think, you know, you like the physicality in the secondary for sure. Um, you know, like you said, back up to Burnett. Also seeing that he might drop down into the box in certain situations. So he could be the long-term solution at strong safety as well. Grooming behind Morgan Burnett. Um, the one thing, if he's going to play free safety, he needs to improve his coverage skills based on uh, stuff I read about. So um, it'll be interesting to see what Steve Wilkes and the defensive staff uh, turn him into. So uh, he, like you said, definitely a big contributor on special teams this year. And then, you know, for 2020 and beyond, it's still up in the air. Yeah, I think even if he plays as that deep safety, sort of lots of people are saying he's not going to be that sort of cover one that can just be a free safety by himself. If you split the field and you've got two deeper safeties, then he can do that job. But um, yeah, I think he comes in as sort of back up to um, Randall, but also back up to Burnett. Um, and then we'll see where he fits best. And there's there's no guarantee. R Randall could easily be gone in a year's time. I know there's the noise of they'd like to keep him, but with all of these players... There's decisions coming down the line and we'll talk more when we talk about the next pick of other players that might be moving on. But Randall is no guarantee to stay. And it's going to be interesting to see if the NFL management committee will dock his wages this year on the fifth year option. Because um, at the minute he's getting cornerback money at nine million, he could be down to six million if they move him to safety money. Um, they've done it before they did it with Sheldon Richardson. So that could be a move. And then suddenly the contract negotiations are a lot easier if a player's getting six million than if a player's getting nine million. So if we jump to pick 155, there was lots of names flying around. But we ended up going with Mac Wilson, linebacker out of Alabama, sort of really early in the season. We we're talking round one, two talent and then sort of just sort of flatlined and then ended up obviously going a lot later in terms of the relative athletic score. Size, speed and explosiveness are just OK. Agility is poor. So from sort of an analytics angle, looking at his physical traits, not great, just a 5.24, which is rather low. Um, Brown's Daily Mock Draft was fantastic follow on Twitter, and especially at this time of the year, just tweeted, even if you like Wilson as a player, another linebacker at this spot, with this roster configuration, with the players available, makes little to no sense to me. And I, I think that's a, a fair point of, yeah, there's some value to it, but after you just picked one in the um, third I think there were some better options at either one of those picks where we could have done something slightly better. Yeah, I definitely think we could have gone in different directions with that pick. But, you know, to get Mac Wilson in the fifth round when, you know, he was projected, you know, early on in the process as a first round pick. And then, you know, leading up to the draft, he was a second, third round pick. To get him in the fifth round, I thought was great value. Um, he's not a great athlete by any means, but, you know, he's a solid coverage linebacker. Um, 
in you know reading the scouting reports, it sounds like he's a freelancer, which reminds me of a former linebacker we just cut this past off or during the offseason, Jamie Collins. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what he's going to do here. You know, he pretty much was coached by an NFL coaching staff in Alabama under Nick Saban. Is he going to listen to what the coaches tell him here? Um, I think Wilson is solid. I've seen comparisons to C.J. Mosley, which wouldn't be a bad option considering, you know, C.J. Mosley was a free agent target. If Wilson can develop and he can be more disciplined at the NFL level, he's going to be a solid linebacker um, at the in the NFL. And then it makes you wonder now we with Taki Taki and Wilson, you know, the Browns drafting them both, what's the future hold for both not only Christian Kirksey but Joe Schobert? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really solid point. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if both had gone by the end of this season. Um, Kirksey's definitely going to be better, I think, than the last two seasons. Greg Williams' system is famously tough on linebackers, so he's going to improve. Is he going to improve into the realm of what his contract is? And it's not about being the best linebacker on the team. If you're, I believe it's $8.6 million, I think I saw Pete Smith tweet out, um, next season, if you're not an $8.6 million linebacker, then you either need to renegotiate your contract to cut that money or you move on from that player. So I think that's a tough decision that they're going to have to make. And the other one's Joe Schobert. Um, there's rumors of not my guy coming into effect here. Um, and rather than there was some noise uh, really early, sort of in the draft window, sort of about a week ago of are they going to trade him? I don't think that'd be a good move. I had a chat with John Colosimo over Twitter and we both came to the conclusion, look, even if you want to let him go, keep him till the end of the season, let him hit free agency and get sort of a fourth round pick probably back as a comp pick because that way you get the benefit of Schobert. It adds to your team for another year. And then in a year's time, if, if you're really happy with one or two of these linebackers that you've drafted, then you're in a much better position. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, I think Schobert, I think the trade rumors were more or less teams were calling Dorsey about the availability of Schobert. I don't think the Browns are necessarily shopping him at this point. He, you know, he's still a solid linebacker and he's only getting better. It's going to be interesting to see what Wilkes can do with him. If you look at his track record with linebackers at Arizona and Carolina, um, I wouldn't let Schobert go. Kirk Kirksey, you know, he's been around a long time. He does make a significant amount of salary. I would expect 2019 to be his last season in Cleveland, but, you know, you've seen guys restructure contracts, take pay cuts to stay. So who knows? Kirksey's, I think he's a Cleveland guy. The fans love him. You know, we just need to see a productive season out of him if we want him to stick around past 2019 for sure. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting one, I think. Um, what Wilkes decides to do is is the massive unknown. And um, I think that, as well as what we do on offense, no, no one really has a clue what direction the Browns are going to go. Um, and that's going to be quite intriguing because watching camp, there's going to be lots to sit there and go, oh, will they do that? Are we going to see sort of the rise in 11 personnel the Rams saw on offense? Um, so it's an exciting time. I'd love to keep Joe Schober. He's one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. Um, Brendan Leister made the point um, when he was on Jake Burns' pod yesterday. Um, lots of people pull up the tackling statistics for some players for missed tackles and things like that. You've got to remember, if you've got a very, very athletic linebacker and they've managed, because of their athleticism, to get in a position to miss that tackle, 
regularly they're in a better play than you could have a, a less athletic linebacker who doesn't get in the position to make the tackle and then thus doesn't have a missed tackle statistic against their name. So sometimes these missed tackle numbers can be very misleading. Um, I think Joe's a great player. Um, I'd like to see him hang around, but at the same time, the salary cap can only stretch so many ways. And if you're going, we don't want to pay him eight to 10 million a year, then that that's a casualty and you move on. And that's just a tough decision. Good teams have to let good players go. And that's something we're going to see regularly over the next few years. It's time to really find out where the value is using comp picks and um, get some value because we're not going to be milking free agency every year. So uh, it's going to be an interesting one seeing what the Browns do over the next few off seasons um, in terms of sort of turning over the roster and making it a lot cheaper. And here came the bizarre pick of the day. With the 170th pick, the Browns selected Austin, I think it's pronounced Seabert, the kicker for Oklahoma. Um, obviously no um, RAS statistic because he's only a kicker. Um, comes up okay size, but doesn't really mean much. The one unusual thing about this kicker is when he was in college, it was also the punter. So could we see as I've sat there and chatted with Stephen Thomas when he was on the podcast earlier this year, could we see the first team that I've known to go, we're only going to have one roster spot. The kicker and punter is going to be the same person. Let's get an extra player somewhere, not just onto the 53-man roster, but it's an extra player onto the game day roster as well because you won't need to use that um, active roster spot for a punter. Could we see it? I don't think we will, but it's certainly going to be something interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely. I, From my recollection, I've never seen an NFL team use the same kicker and also use them as punters, so that would be intriguing. But, you know, the Browns seem to reach on these special teams, guys, if you look back over the years. They took a long snapper in the fifth round. Granted, Ryan Pompreon was a pro bowler, but you do not take a long snapper in the draft at any point. Um, I'm shocked that they took a kicker this high, um, you know, way too early in my opinion, you know, we took Zane a couple years ago in the seventh round. And I think that's prime spot. The seventh round towards the end of the draft, if you want to draft a kicker, if you have a lot of picks, that's fine, but you can find guys that are undrafted. Phil Dawson was an undrafted rookie. Greg Joseph was an undrafted rookie. Um, it's definitely a reach. And when I'm looking at his numbers, he wasn't that good from 40 plus. And he only kicked three field goals 50 yards or higher during his career. Now, granted, Oklahoma has always been like a high-powered offense. They score a lot of points, so you don't really see them kick a lot of field goals. Um, I know he was highly recruited as a kicker and a punter coming out of high school. So um, it's definitely, you know, you definitely want to bring him in and see what he can do for sure. And, you know, we're going to have a competition in camp. It's going to be Greg Joseph, and it's going to be uh, Austin Siebert. So it's going to be very interesting in preseason to see how that shakes out. No, it's certainly one to keep an eye on. For me, I'll just stack a couple of UDFAs in each year if you're not happy with your kicker. May the best man win. Um, and I just want to keep the guarantees low because we saw some incredible kickers last year that just went off the boil, that had really, really good careers up to that point, and it just didn't work out for them. And if you not really tied in any guarantees then you can just cut them mid-season bring in someone else and you move on and it can be as simple as that so 
for me, I wouldn't really make an investment in anyone. I don't think it's a smart thing to do. But hey, it's happened now. I'm over it. It's only a kicker. Um, I think it's just wasted pick in all honesty. There, there would have been a better sort of defensive tackle available on the board or something else. So, um, hey, it, what's done is done, but it, it just feels like a waste. I would never draft a specialist, long snapper, kicker, punter. I just don't think they're worth a pick. Obviously, once you get to sort of seventh round, you're just looking through your UDFA list and taking um, a guy that you don't want, the one that you want to sort of risk the least. So what happens in the seventh? Yeah, it's not the end of the world, but... To go this high, nah, it just didn't feel right. So um, he might prove me wrong and turn out to be a Hall of Fame kicker. I just don't think it's true. He he set some college records um, and the number two behind him was Zane Gonzalez. So yeah, it's it's probably not that important. So okay, we'll see what happens. But um, it wouldn't surprise me if he's not even on the squad by the end of the season. Yeah, and, you know, talking about kickers, it's clear Tampa did not um, learn from their mistake a couple years ago taking Aguayo. They drafted, I think, the Utah kicker. I think his last name's Gay. They drafted him in, like, the fourth round. So, clearly, Tampa, their front office still does not get – you do not need to draft a kicker that early. And especially in that climate, you know, their kickers have struggled year after year. It's not, you know, the talent of the kicker's fault. Of course, you know, it's got to – reach on special teams guys I think that's the uh, bottom line here yeah my mate who's a Tampa fan actually texted me just before we jumped on the pod I'm hearing the only reason we drafted our kicker is because our war room heard your plans to draft one cannot say how true it is but wow um who knows if that's true it's a bizarre old thing um but yeah uh, I I've got some funny texts from him when they draft a kick drafted a kicker so uh yeah, I trolled him and then he trolled me back. But um, these things happen. I just I don't see the value in drafting a kicker. Yeah, I had to laugh during uh, Dorsey's pre-draft press conference. Tony Grossi, you know, everybody's uh, favorite media punching bag. He had to ask Dorsey if he was talking about kicking a, or drafting a kicker. And I was just like, why? Why, why is this a question during a pre-draft uh, press conference? Yep. It's – that it's, – what are they like saying full doors it's the full grossy full grossy so um the if we ever go full grossy um uh there is going to be mayhem in cleveland and i don't ever want to see that <laughs> i'm always up for a little mayhem so the pick uh 189 was drew forbes who o lyman is sort of the place where he's benched at the minute uh, this is looking at him as a guard. So there's some questions over. And the Browns sort of came out and said, look, he, he might be a left tackle. He might be a guard. We're going to play it by ear and we'll see what happens. And he's, he's got an elite re- relative athletic score. So the total comes in at 9.79, which is incredibly high. Um, in terms of speed and explosionness there, speed is elite. Explosiveness is great. And size and agility is good. So very promising there. Dane Brugler, because he's a small state guy, tweeted Forbes, one of my favorite small school players in the draft. Uh, left tackle, he will play offensive guard in the NFL. All the mental and physical ingredients are there for him to stick in the NFL as a quality interior lineman. Two-year captain, he's a balanced bulldog. What do you make of the pick? 
Uh, I clearly look at this as a developmental pick. Um, you know, you like the versatility, you like the athleticism and the offensive linemen. Um, you know, the scout did come out, like you said, and said he could be a left tackle. But, um, you know, when you look at his length and everything, it's it suggests that he'd probably be better inside. So it makes me wonder, is he going to be a guard? Could he be a center down the road if they, uh, you know, extend Treader for a couple of years? Maybe he's groomed to be the long-term center. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the offensive line coach who uh, did great work in Green Bay, what he could do with Forbes once he gets his hands on him uh, starting next week at camp. So it'll be very interesting. Um, you know, offensive tackle, I think we looked at this going in is if somebody falls, could we draft him and he'd be the long-term center? I know Jawan or long-term left tackle, you know, Jawan Taylor was sliding down Friday night. I was kind of hoping he would get to us at a point because I would have loved to take him and then, you know, sit him for a year behind Greg Robinson and then let him be the long-term placement. So um, clearly they're going with Greg Robinson, but it'll be interesting to see what comes of Forbes after 2019, even if he's on the roster. You know, you get to this point, sixth or seventh round, and a lot of these guys are just, you know, we're going to take him to guarantee we get him, bring him into camp, see what he what makes of him, either makes the roster or hopefully we slide him into the practice squad. Yeah, I think he's definitely got the traits to make it. When you're talking, lots of teams will carry sort of nine offensive linemen on their roster. There's going to be a spot for him. Um, and then we just see if he it works out or not, give him the year. Um, and then fingers crossed, even if he just ends up as sort of your fourth interior O-lineman for four years, then you've got a fantastic talent there. So if anything comes of it, it's, it's a win. As I've always said, sort of sixth and seventh round picks. If they don't make it onto their roster, I'm not pointing fingers and moaning because I really don't care. Um, it's a punt at that stage. And if you've got a good roster, your sixth and seventh round picks are no guarantees. And the difference between a sixth and seventh and a UDFA is very, very little. It's just you've got slightly higher investment in them. So, yeah, good luck to the guy. I think there's some benefit there. I think it's a nice pickup. And it follows the trend of, sort of that they had in Green Bay. You draft people that were left tackle in college, and then if they end up, whether it's inside, whether it's outside, they're solid. And then James Kempen, it sort of fits his numbers. Pete Smith posted them earlier. Um, so fingers crossed, we see something from this guy. Um, or hopefully we don't see anything, because that means someone got injured. But uh, hopefully he's just solid and we hear some nice news out of camp. And so the final... Um, pick was Donnie Lewis Jr. at 221 out of cornerback out of Tulane um, and there was no relative athletic score I believe that was because it is injured it was a break in his foot so um, when he's going to be fully fit I'm not entirely sure I don't think I've seen sort of a timeline for that injury yet no I haven't seen anything for it either but um, you know reading up on him you know, he's a very zone-heavy corner, which I would imagine that fits Steve Wilkes' style of defense in terms of a corner. Um, an absolute ball hawk. In the last three seasons, he had 34 pass breakups and seven interceptions. So he is a playmaker at that position for sure. Um, the one downside to him is he's very aggressive. And, you know, down the field, he doesn't have uh, very good speed. So, and that was pre-injury, so it'll be interesting to see what he comes out of it post-injury. 
Um, I look at this as a depth thing at anything. Bring him into camp, see what he's got. He could compete with a Phillip Games and a, a Tavier Thomas, and it could be a guy that they hope to – if he doesn't pan out, they, maybe they stash and develop him on the practice squad. But uh, him and Forbes were both pre-draft visits, so clearly the Browns like them enough to take a chance on him in late rounds. So it'll be interesting to see what these what comes of these guys in the next few months. Oh yeah, certainly. You don't expect anything. He probably most likely spots going to be the practice squad. Um, but if he can beat out sort of Tavio Thomas to say the sixth corner, maybe they take a seventh corner on the squad then um, good luck to him. So um, oh, it's, it might work out, it might not. doesn't really matter at that stage. It's just you're more or less final pick of the draft. You're just going, who do we like most out of this UDFAs? Or oh, that guy's good. We reckon it's going to be tough to get him in. And it's a good position to load up on. You can never have a good, enough good corners. So keep the talent coming in, stack it deep, and then you can see what happens. Um, because, hey, you might get an, a knock in camp. Something could go wrong. So uh, the more the merrier. Um, and if you can play a little bit of special teams and work out that way, it's probably his best shot of staying on the roster. Um, Thomas, obviously, is quite good at special teams. So uh, that's probably what he's competing with. And then we'll jump over to UDFAs. And the three positions I want to throw out there um, defensive tackle is the first, and it was a shock, and many people have pointed to this. It's the biggest position of weakness on the Browns once they addressed cornerback um, in the second round. We've got two cracking starters at defensive tackle, and then there is nothing, and I mean nothing, behind them. You've you've got Coley, who's okay um, as sort of a backup, but not someone you really want to rely on. If either of those two lads get injured in Sheldon Richardson and Ogunjobi, then uh, we're in for a panic. I think the best chance we've got a rotation at the minute is moving sort of Miles Garrett to three-tech or someone else to three-tech um, from a defensive end room and then sort of drop in Avery in purely as a, um edge defender. And I hope that's the case because... For me, Avery's our third or fourth best edge defender. I wouldn't even have him in the linebacker rotation. Unless someone gets injured, he can drop back there. The other two positions I want to mention is running back and tight end. Running back's in there because if Duke Johnson gets moved, then um, we need someone else. Hunt's obviously not there for the first eight weeks. So that's sort of a UDFA spot that I think we might get someone. And tight end is the other one. Um, if, if you're looking at sort of, four you're maybe going to carry then there's some room to add another but that's one that could go any which way um do they really like sefta valve i don't know um austin Charles is there but it's not going to be easy attracting decent udfa players because there is so much depth on this roster and if you're a player going i want to make it in the nfl why would you turn up to the browns unless you're a defensive tackle you're probably not going to get on that roster. So I think it's going to be really tough to attract any real UDFA talent. I think you're much easier as a sort of landing spot. If you're a new team like the Dolphins, I think are a really good attractive team because they know they're rebuilding. They're happy to look at sort of a long-term plan and there's not that much talent there. So I think attracting any decent UDFAs outside of defensive tackles could be a real challenge. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. Um, you know, I have a small list of guys, you know, running back, 
I think with the whole Duke Johnson situation, whether that plays itself out or not, there's one running back for sure that I think we should keep our eye on, and that's Divine Ozigbo. I hope I pronounced that right. He's from Nebraska. Uh, good dual threat at the position, much like a Duke Johnson. Uh, the Browns did bring him in for a pre-draft visit, um, one of their top 30 visits, so could definitely see that. Uh, pass rusher, I, I say it myself and Anthony Jokey say it on 1085 Gridiron all the time. You can never have enough pass rushers. One guy I want to bring in, uh, Jamal Davis. He was a linebacker converted into defensive end out of uh, Akron, which is my hometown. So would like to see the Browns give him a shot. He was scouted heavily during the process. The Falcons, Dan Quinn and Thomas Mitroff came to Akron to work him out. So, I mean, he was very well um, – he had a lot of attention during the pre-draft process. So I think he could get snatched up quickly. Uh, wide receiver. You know, I know people are going to say, well, you have Beckham and Landry. Well, Callaway, he's not trustworthy yet. We all know his issues. So hopefully he stays on the right track, had a great end of the rookie season. And then you have Higgins, who probably won't be here past 2019, especially if he performs. Anthony Johnson out of Buffalo impressed the hell out of me last season, was very – um, he had a lot of attention on him going into the senior season, had a good season. Somehow we had three picks left while we're recording. He hasn't been drafted yet. It, you know, I don't know if the Browns are going to focus on bringing receivers in, you know, they brought in Jalen strong and, you know, they tried out some guys this week during mini camp. I would try to get Anthony Johnson here somehow. He's a good wide receiver. He's not an athletic freak, but the guy makes plays and I'd love to see the Browns get him. Um, you mentioned tight end. Andrew Beck came to mind because I think we need another solid blocker. We have Harris. We have Najoku. We have DeVal. We don't have that blocker. We have Orson Charles. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing them bring him in. And I don't know if people are going to like this quarterback. I think developmental quarterback, you know, compete with uh, Garrett Gilbert going into camp. Uh, Tyree Jackson, you know, the six, seven monster out of Buffalo, you know, there was a lot of talk during the pre-draft process about him. Um, I don't know if the Browns really did any homework on quarterbacks because, you know, we have number six definitely, but uh, wouldn't mind seeing the Browns take a chance on one of these guys that are left available. You know, it wouldn't hurt to start developing a quarterback behind Baker. Yeah, obviously the pick hasn't come in quite yet. Wouldn't surprise me if Tyree Jackson is Mr. Irrelevant um, just because they've got Kyler Murray. So um, it wouldn't be a bad place to go as sort of stashing a backup. But um, yeah, I, I would love to see him come in. Um, I think he gives you a really nice option there. There were some really good names. Um, and I think there's a straight fight this year. It's Higgins versus Landry. One of those isn't going to be on the 2020 roster. Um, who that is going to be, I'm not sure. Really? I, I, good I, guys? I, <laughs> I just think because the money's there, I think Higgins, I agree with you. I think Higgins is the least likely to make that roster. Um, 20, one of them isn't going to make the 2020 roster because you can't pay everyone. Obviously, if Callaway is Callaway um, and has those old issues, then both can stay. I just, I don't think you're going to pay or have sort of four starting wide receivers and pay three of them decent money. And OBJ, Landry, um, Higgins, if Higgins has the season we believe he could have, then you're not going to have everyone. So um, there's going to be some really interesting battles coming down over the entire season, not camp. I mean, the entire season of A or B, 
not everyone can stay who's going to win this and that, and that's going to be really good because it drives players on so it's not just we're competing to win a super bowl we're competing because someone's leaving at the end of this year and that's um if you're a team that is competing for a super bowl everyone wants to stay so it's going to create some interesting dynamics and uh, i'm really excited about that because i think hey the more we go in look you're two great players one of you's going to leave battle it out um it motivates them and drives them on. You know, I will say I respect you and Pete Smith so much for the Landry uh, negativity that you guys bring. I, I, I get it. Landry is overpaid. I think we are going to see the Jarvis Landry of Miami now that Beckham's here, you know, him being the number two wide receiver. I think he's going to be more settled into his role. Yeah. He's getting paid like a number one wide receiver, but I think you're going to see the better Jarvis Landry now. And, and you can disagree with me all you want. As long as Odell Beckham's here, Jarvis Landry is going to be here too. Jarvis Landry will probably restructure that contract to get, make sure he stays and help the Browns out financially for a little bit. I know there's uh, flaws in the whole restructuring and all that, but I think as long as Beckham's here, Landry's going to be here and they're not going to separate them. I, I think it's certainly something to keep an eye on. And if that's the case that Landry stays and Higgins is as good as gone already. So um, then you, you, you're accepting he's out the door. I think if he has a phenomenal season and we're talking about Higgins as a potential closing in, say, a thousand yard receiver, and then Landry's in sort of this 700 yard bracket, um, mainly because they play different roles within an offense then I think it's hard to force Higgins out the door, even though he's got that relationship with OBJ. Um, but it's one of them that it, it could easily happen where you get rid of a thousand-yard receiver because he's not mates with someone. So who knows? Um, I, I just think it's a really interesting dynamic the Browns have got. Um, I think Greg Robinson is out the door, so it's going to be interesting to see if they can groom anyone to replace him. I'd put it about a 5% chance he stays. Because either he doesn't have a good season, he's gone, or he has a good season, and we are not giving him Nate Solder, um, Brown money. Um, those guys got paid insane. So um, if he has anywhere a good season, he's gone. Um, it's as simple as that. So I was really surprised we didn't address that position. I thought that was very likely to be done this year, purely so you could sort of bed someone in for that year and sort of feel a lot more confident about it. But um, that, that was sort of the biggest pick. If I look at defensive tackle and offensive tackle, um, those are the two that I thought we're really going to make a move here in the draft. And I'd have felt really confident saying that. Neither happened. So um, who knows? It wouldn't surprise me if something's up the sleeve. Um, there's free agencies obviously still available. Um, Dorsey's happy to move this cap. Um, it sounded like in the last week that they're making more sensible decisions, but that might not be the case. I'd, we're not looking at Sue. So don't put your hopes up that high. I, th I think there's a, a couple of names out there that you can go add some more talent still. Yeah, uh, Stephen Thomas brought it up again. Gerald McCoy, uh, his cap number post June 1st, well, it won't be as effective cutting him now as cutting him later. So maybe they do have something up their sleeve. It wouldn't surprise me. And, you know, there was rumblings uh, through people that I talked to that, you know, Dorsey has restructurings lined up and he can do it just like that. So if deals are going to be made, and obviously there was the rumors of Patrick Peterson and Chris Harris, 
if deals are if big deals are going to be made that could address potentially defensive tackle or offensive line, then you know I think Dorsey's prepared himself to make sure that it doesn't mess up the long term plan financially for the Browns because I think while Dorsey's going for it over the next couple of years. He is still looking three or four years down the line, and we don't even know what the new CBA is going to do. It could benefit the Browns. It could hurt the Browns. But I think as long as Deep Podesta is there, um, I think the Browns are going to be in a good situation financially. That's also mentioned Deep Podesta. That's a really good point. Um, we might see movements in the front office. Um, now sort of going into that time of the year, maybe slightly further down in the offseason, you see those moves where people leave and join um, they sort of rebuild scouting departments straight after the draft because they're already preparing for 12 months time and the next draft um, surely one of them's getting pinched this year Wolf Highsmith um, someone of note will probably get a gig um, with who knows which team but they're probably pretty high on the uh, GM search for when uh, one team decides it's time to move on yeah, I mean, I was expecting Highsmith and Wolf to get GM interviews this past offseason. It didn't happen. Um, you know, if the Browns have another solid season, I fully expect that those guys should get interviews, and they should. I mean, they've been, especially Elliot Wolf, he's been working at this since he was a teenager under his father. Um, he's he's more than due for that role. Uh, Alonzo Highsmith's been in the Packers front office. 20 years you know he should get some consider consideration as well so um you know I could see them making changes in the scouting department uh that happened last year a couple guys that have been in the organization for a while left um but I would expect the the nucleus to stay intact for sure yeah I I think it will stay that way um I'm still not sure if Deep Podesta moves um I I wouldn't be surprised I I've I've said for sort of this whole offseason that I don't know how much longer he's got he might just try hold it out be a part of a Super Bowl win and then go straight after that so um that's going to be something interesting to keep an eye on but no thank you so much for jumping on the pod plug yourself plug all your work um you've got a fantastic website um that I've enjoyed uh being involved in so uh no plug everything yeah absolutely thank you for having me on again uh, man this was fun um, you can follow me on Twitter at jmccle. McCurry is M-C-C-U-R-R-Y. Uh, follow my work at bigplay.com. Just started writing there as a um, Cleveland writer contributor, but I, I do some other stuff there as well. I'll actually be recapping the Cincinnati Bengals draft, so uh, check that out. I'll, I post it on all my social media platforms. And, um, of course, check out the podcast that I co-host, the 1085 Gridiron Podcast. Jack's been a guest. Uh, going to get Paul Brown on there sometime during the summer for sure. Um, and, you know, myself and Anthony, we're a hundred some episodes in, we'll be recording our draft recap in the next couple of days. So uh, look forward to that as well. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Just a quick one. I've got Mr. Irrelevant wrong. It went to UCLA tight end Caleb Wilson, went to the Arizona Cardinals and the first UDFA pick, uh, signing is in. And that's the Panthers picking up Georgia running back Elijah Holyfield. So um, no, it's going to be one that it starts going crazy. But thank you very much for jumping on, Jack. Have a fantastic rest of the weekend. Hope all you guys enjoyed the draft. It was great with all the coverage. Paul should be back. Um, I want to say tomorrow, 
this is dropping so it'll be our sunday show which will drop in um probably just after midnight in the uk um and then yeah so you probably won't hear anything from us tomorrow but we might do a um udfa catch up for any brown signings i'll probably drop that with paul on monday so have a fantastic rest of the weekend thank you very much jack and uh, keep up the great work thanks man go browns